I forgot to mention this this morning. You know, our subject was the Lord's Day. Last Sunday was the first of of two messages on the Fourth Commandment. And our oldest daughter always gives us a um, calendar that I rip off the page and the picture each day. Well, I'd forgotten to rip off the picture last Sunday morning. I ripped it off last Sunday night when we got home. And it happened to be, Ye shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. <laughs> That's June the 5th, as you can see. And I didn't know that until afterwards. So it was, a, it was, it was just a, a, a very comforting confirmation, I felt, from the Lord. Well, two weeks ago, we had the very somber subject of hell as we continue the series on, on the events that follow the, the life and crucifixion and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We've continued thoughts on His post-resurrection ministry, His, his ascension, which is His coronation day, and his session, is, as it's called, as he sits at the right hand of God and, and intercedes for us in heaven. And we've considered Judgment Day and then the subject of hell. Two weeks ago, we suspended the subject of heaven last week, focusing on a message of preparing for the Lord's Supper. And Well, with... with uh, very much concern I speak on the subject of heaven today because it just seems so vast and it's very hard to to preach the subject of heaven with one message. Um, there's a, a notion that is popular but it's untrue that Jesus spoke more on hell than He did about heaven. And I suppose it's because people may not have looked at a Strong's Concordance. Or it seems to produce a shock effect to say such a thing. It sounds obviously very shocking if that were true, that Jesus spoke more about hell than about heaven. It may have been an attempt to magnify hell or to elevate it since it is very unpopular. It certainly gets attention. But just looking at a Strong's Concordance and seeing the sheer mention of the words heaven and hell, and it's very clear that Jesus spoke more about heaven than He did about hell. He spoke about the kingdom of heaven, right? He spoke about heaven itself and, and the future that we have with, with Him. If you look at the word hell or fire or even lake, it's about half a column in a Strong's Concordance altogether. Even the Old Testament word Sheol is only about one column. Where if you look at the, the uh, word heaven, and, and it covers four columns in the New Testament alone. And of course, there are other words and truths that speak about the future. Like eternal life. Like life. And, and uh, so on. So just do the math and we can see that he spoke more about heaven than about hell. Though it is true that he spoke more about hell than anyone else did as far as the writers and the preachers and 
prophets of the Scriptures. Hell is a truth, but so is heaven. Heaven is a wonderful truth for God's people. And it is an incentive. Not the only incentive and the prior, the, uh, the chief incentive, but it is an incentive to lost souls. That there is a heaven to gain. That trusting Christ, it has an eternal blessed consequence. But we all know it's not the only and the chief motivation. But it is a tremendous encouragement to God's people and it's meant to be so. What did Jesus say, for instance? My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me and I give unto them eternal life. Essentially, He's saying, I give unto them heaven. And the Bible is written to God's people primarily, to Israel, to the church. He's a God of grace. And the truth about heaven magnifies Christ's offices of prophet, priest, and king to prepare His people for such a place. And I'd like to think, though it's debatable, that there are more going to heaven than hell. And I understand there are verses that seem to teach the opposite. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to life and and uh, few there I'm sorry. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, but narrow is the way and my mind is drawing a blank. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Well, that's true as of right now. The Bible says that there's an innumerable amount of people that are going to be saved at the end. But it's debatable and I don't think any who feel that there will be more in hell than heaven will be disappointed if it's not true if there's more in heaven than in hell. I don't think any of you are going to say either, if, if, there's, if it's not true, that I told you so. Will you? You'll be kind to me, won't you, later? So, we consider the subject of heaven. Just such a wonderful thought. I mean, heaven is such a wonderful truth. We ought not to use that name in vain should we that truth about God heaven is what he has built and what he is going to rebuild there's a question about whether there's going to be a brand new heaven and earth or a renewed heaven and earth I tend to believe like in Noah's day that God refreshed the earth by drowning it that like a forest fire will refresh everything it won't be brand new, but it will certainly be renewed in its landscape. And I think that as the Lord used water to renew creation after the days of Noah, that He's going to use fire to renew. But again, that can be debatable. But certainly the subject of heaven should be revered and appreciated. And how often do we hear something like, for heaven's sake? And what, is that, what does that mean? It's really taking the Lord's name in vain. But as we think about heaven, you can't help but think about Revelation chapters 21 and 
22, can we? And is it a surprise that the Bible ends with heaven? Though we find hell in both chapters, chapter 21 and verse 8, who's not going to be in heaven, but, in the, but will be in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And in chapter 22, it also mentions those who are outside heaven's gates. Verse 15, dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, and so on. But 21 and 22 are predominantly chapters about heaven. But again, if we're looking for street addresses and materials that form mansions and whether uh, there are water fountains or whether there are certain uh, merchants or merchandising in glory, that's not what we're going to find in chapters 21 and 22. The Bible, especially the book of Revelation, the apocalypse is full of metaphorical language. And so, I hope you're not disappointed that you're not reading about whether mansions are made of stone or wood or gold, or that uh, we have bodies, can we eat? Do we have digestive systems? And all those kinds of questions. You know, will there be dogs and cats in heaven? We're not going to find that information. No, we try to look for it. But won't you agree with me that it's so indescribable, so wonderful? But none of us are going to say, why aren't there any dogs here? Or why aren't there any cats here? I guess we can understand why there aren't any mice. Or, or uh, why there aren't any chipmunks. But I suppose they'll be there. But we won't have to worry about electrical wires being frayed by chipmunk teeth. I say that because we have a live trap outside our church building even as I speak, and we have to somehow uh, find a different home for our four plus twenty chipmunks that are uh, residents here while we rent the facilities for one day today. Well, what can I say about heaven? We just sang, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. May I say that heaven begins here. If you and I are preparing for heaven now, we're not rehearsing for heaven on the Sabbath day. We're not ready for heaven when it really comes. The first mention of heaven is from the lips of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is near. The Bible speaks of heaven as really already, but not yet. That's an expression you may have heard lately. Already, but not yet. And that's really what heaven is. Heaven is eternal life. It's the possession of eternal life. Jesus says, I give unto them eternal life. Not I will. That you may know that you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. Heaven is already in the heart of Christians. We have heaven dwelling in us. 
Someone said, how can we expect to be in heaven if heaven is not in us first? Philippians chapter 1 says we are already citizens of heaven. We already have a key, as it were. We already have a badge. We already have a a card that we are already there. They already know who we are. The angels certainly do because they're having to report whether we've been mischievous or whether we've been faithful. And we may have one or more of our colleagues in this room today. One of these days we'll get to see them and and talk to the ones that had the responsibility to take care of us. They may have to say to us, you really made me sweat. I hope that they can go to heaven today and say, you know, those, those little people down there, Berean, are, are, do love you, Lord, and they serve you. John's ministry, we're told, was from heaven. Luke chapter 20 and verse 4. So, heaven comes down when salvation occupies the heart. Jesus said, I am come down from heaven. And He brought heaven to the streets of Jerusalem and to the streets of Bethlehem and and in Samaria. And you and I are representing heaven wherever we go. We're citizens of heaven. I wonder if anyone could, could think, do they ever say to themselves, you know, those people don't really belong here. Their, their heart seems to be in a higher place. I heard a minister say that he was coming from Scotland and becoming a minister here. He'd been a minister in Scotland for many years and was raised there. And he, was, he got his criteria, credentials, at a train station. He said it was a miserable day and raining and, and uh, he had his, his wife and his little children with him and they were ready to depart for America. And he just said, I wonder if my family was saying, why, or why is my husband, why is my daddy taking us so far away into a, another land? And He said it was a rough day. But he said, out of, the, out of the shadows, a woman came up to him and said, could it be that you and your family are Christians? And it just shocked him. He said he felt anything but a Christian that day. They all were kind of miserable, even by the weather, and having to leave their homeland to go to a strange land. And yet, what did that woman see in that family that made her say that? He doesn't go into the further conversation they may have had. But did she see a brightness in their countenance? Did she see that these people are sad, but they're, they're uh, what am I trying to say? They're, they're uh, lassoing their sadness with poise. And maybe they saw them pray together. I don't, maybe she saw them pray together. I'm not sure. But I wonder, do people sense heaven in us wherever we go. And it's not so much they're so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. But the truth really is we're so earthly minded we're no earthly good. We need to be more heavenly minded, don't we? Doesn't the Bible say 
Set your affections on things above and not on the things of the earth. But I do say heaven is a place. I think we're all certainly relieved by that. If it's just, if it's just out there, if it's just a spiritual dimension, then it's very hard to, to uh, wrap your mind around it. But you know, we are people of, of you know, touch and feel and, 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 and hear and see and taste. But thank the Lord that the Bible teaches that heaven is a real place. We pray, our Father, which is in heaven. In heaven, their angels behold the face of their Father. Matthew 18.10 The Bible tells us in several places that Jesus went up into heaven. Mark 16.19 He was received up into heaven. Same with Acts chapter 1. The Bible tells us Satan fell from heaven. How blessed, how thankful we should be that there's no evil there. Satan is well contained if he has to go to heaven to report like in the days of Job. But apparently not because Jesus says he's now fallen from heaven. So we're, when he's giving account to God, it's, it's probably not in heaven. Because God certainly can have his throne anywhere he wants. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. There's joy in heaven. Notice the in. In heaven. Over one sinner that repents. Remember what Jesus said to the, the robber, the thief? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? Today shalt thou be with me on a cloud, in the air, in paradise. Paradise. Certainly, Jesus takes us back to the Garden of Eden because paradise in Aramaic is a garden. And I'll show you that the book of Revelation tells us that heaven is likened to a garden. The Bible tells us that Jesus went into heaven itself. Hebrews 9, verse 24. And how can we forget the words of Jesus to His sorrowful disciples as He was preparing them for the crucifixion. What did He say in John chapter 14? Can you remember that? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a Place. Place. It's just like it says of Judas in the opposite extreme. He went to his own place. Acts chapter 1. Well, John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, if that's not enough, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And doesn't he say in that, what I miss, it says, and if it were not so, I would have told you. Isn't that an amazing statement? What does that mean? He knows how, how much they want to know if it's a place we can measure, we can touch, where we can see Him and see each other. And why would He say, if it were not so, I would have told you? He's saying, you can bank on it. It's a negative way of saying, again, I go to prepare a place for you. 
These things, and he says this in Revelation, these things are faithful and true. Why would he say that? Because they seem to be too good to be true. And he says that to tell us they are not too good to be true. They're not too good to be true. That's why he had to swear by himself to Abraham. It's too good to be true for me and my wife to have a baby. And he swore, it says. God swore by Himself. And so it is with the covenant of grace. It seems too good to be true. Have you ever just kind of touched, pinched yourself? Am I really going to heaven? Am I really bona fide? You know, yeah, I'm here. You know, we're here, but is it really true that we're going to heaven? That this is not all that there is? Like the, the lies of the devil and the world? It's true. Sometimes you get afraid to die, don't you? What's it going to be like? It's, it's going to be terrifying to be dying and knowing that, that it's going to be dark for a moment. And when, then what? Then what when I, when I close my eyes finally and my soul departs? Then what? And it'll be it'll be more precious and it'll be unimaginable joy, isn't that what Kim said to Tanya in April before she passed? And it was just just Friday that was her one year anniversary going to the Lord. Our, our minister in Columbia, South Carolina, John Wagner's wife, passed away a, a year ago Friday, and she said she had a little bit of a little bit of concern about dying, about the, the, the experience of death. And, and every so often, it, it hits you in ways like, am I going to panic? Or am I going to worry? Am I going to be afraid? And I'm asking Tanya to have verses ready. I need verses of the Bible. I need verses like John 14. I need you to read to me God's promises. What else can... Well, our fears, but God's promises. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. It's an unimaginable place of bliss and glory. Just like it's an unimaginable place of horrors to be without Christ forever. If hell is the blackness of darkness, heaven is the brilliance of light. And that's how it's described in the book of Revelation. Heaven is a real place. But may I say, and similar to what I said earlier, heaven's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual realm. We have to keep that in mind. It's going to be just being in the Spirit forever. Not ever out of the Spirit. Not ever a fleshly moment. Not ever a sin. It's a spiritual realm. He's called the Lord of Heaven. And even this expression, and I saw new heavens and a new earth, that begins the wonderful section of Revelation 21 and 22. It would seem that heaven is the spirit, represents the spiritual realm there, and the, and the earth is the physical realm. So he's saying physical, spiritual. Not heaven, earth so much as heaven being a spiritual realm, and earth includes, you know, all the, 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 the surrounding elements that we call 
the sky today, for instance. But nonetheless, we, we certainly see that heaven is a spiritual realm. He's called our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father. Remember, the prodigal son said, I've sinned against heaven. Now that might simply be a, a metaphor, I've sinned against God, but he's talking to his father there. And the Father represents God the Father. And when you think about it, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against the beauties and glories of the spiritual realm when I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against His people. I've sinned against the truth. Heaven is described as the spirits of just ones made perfect. It's a spiritual realm. Certainly, especially today, because... Heaven is mostly filled with bodiless saints. I don't know how that looks. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'd like to keep my body. I, I think I, I'd feel a little bit less than I really am. But I don't know how it's going to look. How do you see a, a body? How do you talk to a body? Well, I can talk to a bodiless person, right? We, we can. Well, I'm not going to talk to angels because I don't know if he's over here, over there, or up there. But the Bible doesn't tell us to talk to angels, but they can hear us. And we, we're, we're promised that they're, they're near us. But God has no body, and we talk to Him. And we fellowship with Him. I just don't know how it's going to look. And it doesn't matter, does it? That's why I think some people think of heaven being a place where people are in temporary bodies. I don't know how that goes. I don't know if a renting body is something that, that is really a, um, attractive to me. I can't imagine going to heaven and seeing a closet with bodies and we have to pick out one or the other. But it's, again, a dimension that's wonderful to us. But the focus is on the spiritual nature of the truth of heaven. But heaven is the destination of believers. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Lord is seated on His throne in heaven. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He describes heaven as, as a garden. Whom have I in heaven but thee? I'm going to heaven, but I would rather not go to heaven if God isn't there. I would rather go to hell if God is there. How often have we read that among the old saints? They don't want to be in heaven if God isn't there. It scares somebody to think of being somewhere without God being there. Paul spoke about it to be with Christ. And we will see His face. The face represents the person. We will see Him as He is, we're told. Heaven is the destination of believers. Can you picture yourself on a conveyor belt? You ever been on a, a walking sidewalk? They're kind of neat, but I feel like I'm going to fall on my face if I walk too fast. And especially if I'm not near a railing that's on one side or the other, but you're heading in a certain direction. You can't reverse it. I've never tried it, but imagine it would, you'd get hurt trying to walk backwards or turn around and but we imagine ourselves on a, on a conveyor belt and it, we're being taken closer and closer and every moment is we're moving toward heaven. It's our destination. It's our 
destination that has been purchased to us for us by our Lord Jesus. But I want us to see, you can't speak about heaven without looking into Revelation 21 and 22 and how can we do it justice in just a few moments that are left to us? But the first chapter that speaks of heaven is certainly metaphorical. But interestingly, heaven is described as a relationship between the Lamb and His bride. Well, let's just say the Lamb and His church because there are four metaphors of the church given in Revelation 21 through Revelation 22 and verse um, 7. So, again, if we're looking for, heaven, if we're looking for descriptions of heaven as being some, something physical, even something visual, like we observe things on earth. Will grass be green? Will water be blue? Will skies... You know, instead of look, looking at it in the concrete terms that we know of things today, there are four metaphors given of the church in Revelation 21 and into 22. The church is spoken of as His bride... It's spoken of as a city. It's spoken of as a temple. And it's spoken of as a garden. Those four things in Revelation 21 and the beginning of 22. And again, I can't go verse by verse, but you see how it says that John saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, he does say there was no more sea. But again, we have to look at Apocalypse as a book of metaphors, of figures of speech. And to the Jew, someone said, the shortest book in the Bible, not the Bible, the shortest book on the history of Israel is famous naval officers. <laughs> you know what that means? They didn't have any. I mean, the, fam- the, the most famous naval person in Israel was Jonah. Now, they did have a few of Solomon's servants that went over with Hiram's servants and some others across to Spain, I think. But Israel saw the sea as a place where danger came from. You know, marauders, storms came from the sea. And to say there's no more sea, in the the Old Testament, the sea pictures nations like the sea is turbulent. The, The wicked are like the... The sea, right? The, the churning of the waves. So again, we have to see that the Revelation is a, a book that gives us many metaphors. But John doesn't focus on the, the concrete things in what's heaven and earth here. But he sees the holy city. We'll, we'll pick up on that later. New Jerusalem coming down from God of, out of heaven. Prepared as a bride. So the focus here is the picture of a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. So, it's a relationship. So, the Lord wants us to see heaven as 
a relationship between God and His people. He wants us to, to look forward to not how big will my mansion be? And, you know, will there be any mountains? Will there be any animals? We, 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 we're so attached to the earth. Heaven is a place of fellowship with God. And, you know, some people don't like when it just talks about us being sons of God and, and so on. And why don't you just say sons and daughters? Well, it's like saying the Lord doesn't say that the church is a bride and a bridegroom. <laughs> it says the church is a bride. And He's the bridegroom. So let's not be caught up in the, the masculine and feminine either. Though we have to be in these days. There, there's male and female. But what is He saying about the bride? The bride is beautiful and the bride is pure. Um, I had the privilege to, have, to conduct about seven or eight weddings. I was getting a complex because I had about 20 funerals before I had my first wedding. And I thought, that's pretty grim. But you know what the special thing about a wedding? The night before, you may see the bride, just, and you do, you see the bride in plain clothes. You see the bride kind of plain. You know, just, just everyday clothes. A nice pair of of slacks or a nice uh, dress and you know maybe a, a, a nice ch- shirt and just sometimes the hair down. I mean, it was plain. But the next day, what a difference. The next time you see the bride, the doors open and wow, what a transformation. Now I know it's, it, it's a little paint, it's a little powder, and as they say, enough to blow up a ship. But it, it, but the bride doesn't eye her garment. She, she eyes her bridegroom, right? We eye the bride coming in, and what a transformation! But it's it's a song like the song says by Samuel Rutherford: "The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face." You know what I'm saying? So. He's catching what Revelation is saying. It's the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. So, what is heaven, we say? It's a beautiful relationship between Christ and His people. We're looking forward to a relationship. I mean, we want to carry our idolater spirit, don't we? Tell me more about the size of mansions and and how many mountains there are, and are there going to be any valleys? Are there going to be any horses? Are there, you know what I'm saying? Instead, it's how can I cultivate a, a foretaste? How can I have a rehearsal? Isn't it interesting? We have a rehearsal of the wedding on the night before. This is a rehearsal of, our, of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we should be doing. That's what heaven is. Heaven is is a relationship. So, the bride is the first metaphor speaking of beauty and purity. We'll, have, we'll be pure, sinless in Christ. So, he talks about the tabernacle of God is with men. And it's interesting how the, a lot of negatives that are good negatives, you'll wipe away all tears. and No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. Neither any more pain. 
For the former things are passed away. And even verse 8, no more sin, no more sinners that are without Christ. And no wonder why again in verse 5 he has to say, write, John, for these things are true and faithful. They're not too good to be true. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. It's interesting how the name Jesus is not found until the next chapter. So people say, well, how is heaven without Christ if Christ is not named in chapter 21? Oh, seven times is, is the name of Christ, which is the first name that was given Him in the New Testament. What's the first name that was given to Jesus in the New Testament? I'm talking about the first title. John the Baptist came on the scene and said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And you know how many times Lamb is mentioned in Revelations 21 and 22? You can't help. you you got to guess this. Seven. I wonder why. I wonder what that means. He's the Lamb. We're there because He's the Lamb. We're there because of His sacrifice. Heaven is a place that is earned by Christ for His people. But notice... The next metaphor, heaven is described as a relationship between Christ and His people and His people are described as a city. Verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like the stone most precious and even a jasper stone clear and as crystal. When you think of a city, you think of what? Activity. We're going to be serving the Lord. We're going to be working. You think of the glory of the city, but also the city is spoken of as absolutely secure. It says the city had a wall, great and high. Why? What's that mean? Is it saying it's going to be a literal, there are going to be literal walls? And the point is made when a city has walls, it's secure, it's impregnable. And it had 12 gates. So now, again, you have mixed metaphors. Normally, if, if you don't want a city to be uh, liable to being overtaken, you have as few gates as possible. So now it goes from the wall, security, to liberty. It's got 12 gates. And these are the, uh, and at the gates, 12 angels, which obviously would speak of security. But liberty, you know, they're not going to let anybody in that isn't allowed. But the gates are numerous. And you've got variety. You've got gates and foundations of the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. Both eras. Both Old and New Testaments. Heaven will be a place with all kinds of different peoples and nations. It's a secure and yet a place of liberty. A place of security and a place of great liberty. And the Bible speaks of it being glorious. The light of it being like a stone most precious, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The Bible tells us there's going to be no night there and neither sun. So how is it being lit? Just like it was the first three days were lit before the sun, moon, and the stars were made. 
God is the glory. The Lamb is the glory thereof. It's a relationship that we're a city, that we're a, an active people, that we are a people that are secure in Christ, a people that have liberty to worship the Lord and to fellowship together. You have uh, three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And it had twelve foundations. It's impregnable. It's, heaven is not going to be replaced. It's not going to be overthrown. And it's interesting how he's given a measure, a reed to measure the city and the gates and the wall. And what's, what's the measurement? It's four square. Does that mean it's a square city? Again, you've got to think spiritually. It's, it's a cube. And I remember reading a di- the diary of Andrew Bonner and he said for the first time he felt his eyes were open to verse 16 of chapter 21. Now get this. I- I'm-, I'm not in his brain. You know what he said? The Lord is using me to edify the saints more in my old age than now it reached to evangelize sinners. And he said verse 16 was a blessed confirmation of that. He was... He write in his diary, why is the Lord not using me much anymore to win souls? And he said this verse is a tremendous help to him to comfort him that he's now edifying saints more. It speaks of the saints' maturity. Four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And so on. It's, in other words, believers are mature. They say, well, we're, we're, we're uh, doing gymnastics. But again, this is a book of of figures and a book that is the apocalypse afterwards, after all. And it's, it's huge. 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are equal. It's saying that the saints are measured. The saints are... are what am I going to say? What do, you, what do you say? That the saints are mature. The saints are, are, are sizable. They're, they're mature in the Lord. He measured the wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. Interesting. Now the measurement of an angel. And I wonder if he looks at the angel and he says, what measurement do you have? Well, I have this measurement. Well, both of our measurements have the same measurement. What is he saying? Believers are in Christ. Believers are, are, are Christians. Believers are godly. What else can you say? There's nobody sneaking in. There's no ungodly person here. There's no one that has an ungodly measurement. I think, I think it's getting closer to what it means. I don't think it's doing mental gyrations. The building of the wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like a clear glass. Can you imagine? But it's like someone said, gold is so precious you walk on it. It's, it's, we're, not, we're not impressed in the sense of, of, of idolatry. With, can you imagine how expensive heaven is? If you would, if you would measure it in dollars and cents. But, but Jesus didn't have a dollar in His pocket, as it were. And yet He was rich. And we, He who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. How enriched we are to have a place in heaven, to have fellowship with God, to be 
glorified. Isn't that an expression of someone being glorified? The spirits of just men made perfect, perfect measurements, a cube, and so on. And think of the the foundations being precious stones. Just the the glory of that place. The, the precious nature of being in Christ and being in the city of God. And all these different um, jewels. And I think eight of those are were in Aaron's um, breastplate. And some say the other four were John's understanding of the the the, the, the um, the remaining four. Can you imagine a gate that's whole pearl? It's a whole pearl? Again, I don't know how much of this is literal, but to think just the glory of being in Christ, to describe the gates as of absolute pearl. And there's a place, I think it's, where is it later? With It says in verse 25, the gates shall not be shut. So you see the, the dual metaphor. One is security the walls, but yet the gates will never be shut. That day's gone by in our, in our neighborhoods, isn't it? I just listened to a message and there's some place, obscure place in, in the north of Scotland, I think, where they got their first police officer. Can you imagine that? A town, and, they, and the people argued over it. We don't need a police officer. And that they are actually told you've got to lock your doors now. Where up until recently, they never had to lock their doors. Can you imagine being in a place we don't have to lock our doors? And the gates are never shut. We can go in and out, as it were, and find pasture. We can visit one another and not have to worry about thieves and robbers. Oh, the glory of that place. But there's an interesting third metaphor. It says, I saw no temple therein. So how could you say the church is a temple? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. In other words, it's all temple. It's not that we're in a place of worship on the Sabbath and we're going back out into the world and, and the world is, is, is outside place of worship. He saw no temple because the Lord and the Lamb are the temple of it. In other words, the whole city is a temple. It's worship all day and every day. Everything we're doing is to the glory of God. And so the church is really, as he says, we're the temple of God. You see what it means. The, 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 the heaven is full of people and the people are full of the Spirit. And so the whole city is temple. Everything is temple. R.C. Sproul had a, a father that was ransacked with, with, uh, from strokes. He had several strokes and he had to carry him from place to place, from the chair to the table until he couldn't get to the table anymore. And uh, he just never knew the la- you know, anything but the, the, the uh, paralyzed condition of his father. And he had a dream of his father after his father died. And, and he said to his father, show me the glory. Show me the glory of heaven. You know what his father's answer was in the dream? It's all glory. It's all glory. There's no place 
in heaven that is not glorious. Can you imagine all glorious? Have you ever had moments of being gloriously in fellowship with God? Or had a glorious experience of the truth as you read it or heard it? Can you imagine every second is glorious in this place called heaven? Again, it's a relationship. Heaven is a relationship between God and His people. That's what heaven is. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That's the experience of heaven. And again, you can't... We'd have to study the book of Revelation. Let me just close with the unsurprising element. Is it a surprise that he gives the illustration of a garden finally? The Bible begins in the garden and it ends in a garden. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, where there was there a, the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. Where do we see this language earlier? Where, was the, where were the trees? Where was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Where, was the, where, was the, where were the rivers beginning to, to, to uh, issue out? It was the Garden of Eden. He's brought us back to a garden. Didn't He say to the, to the thief, Today shall you be with Me in the garden. He described heaven as a garden. And I don't know about you, can you Obviously, again, it's figurative language. We ask, are there really going to be trees and fruit? Well, of course there will be. There's a new earth. But he's using this as a figure. There will be blessings innumerable. Twelve, can you imagine a tree with twelve different fruits? Today we go outside and we pick an apple. Well, on July 1st, we begin to pick pears. And on August 1st, we pick cherries. And on September 1st, we pick, I'm going to run out of, uh, apricots. And on October 1st, we pick grapefruits. Help me out here. On, on November 1st, we pick persimmons, uh, bananas. I'm just saying, can you imagine? It's, 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 it's beyond imagination. But it says the blessings are innumerable and they're unceasing. Every month is a new fruit. The surprise of heaven is going to be amazing. I think we don't we speak our ignorance. What what are we going to do in heaven? Can you imagine asking that question? What are we not going to do? What are we not going to receive? What are we not going to see? What are we not going to experience? It is going to be all holy and righteous and joyful and beautiful and precious. But it's the language of relationship. God is in the midst. The Lamb and and God are the light thereof. The Lamb is spoken of seven times in the midst of these four metaphors. 
we're married to the Lord. We're a bride being brought to Him beautifully and with purity. We're a city. We're secure. There's liberty. There's activity. There's something to do. Everyone has a, a job. And yet, the Lord is the, the King. He is the employer. We're temple. All is temple. It's liturgy. It's service. Worship. Nowhere where God is absent. It's all glory. And we're garden. It speaks of joy. Ecstasy. There's a duty as Adam was given a job to do. To dress and keep the garden. I don't know about you, but being a gardener is, 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 is appealing to me. Isn't it to you? I was reading again uh, Andrew Bonner and he, uh, <laughs> the ministers joked that they waited a year for him to return and visit him because he loved to work in the garden. <laughs> and they must have waited for him to do their weeding and, and, and to do their planting. But he always said an untidy, uh, an untidy man's garden is unchristian. So I better work on the garden at home. Or, well, you better work on it. I'll, I'll work on something else. <laughs> it's all work. But you know, it's all enjoyment and glory. I don't know how, how much, you know, I'm sure this could be, this could be uh, explained much more um, ably by many others. But I do have one more page and I'm going to close still now. I just said heaven's an indescribable existence. It's indescribable in its, in its reality. And I just speak of its brilliance, of its beauty, of its liberty. Just some more thoughts. But the latter part of chapter 22 is the Lord beginning to speak and John speaking and an angel speaking and Jesus pleading with people to believe Him and to not miss out on the glory of heaven and to be careful not to take away or add to the things that the Lord has spoken about the glorious truth about heaven. And see how it ends? We all get to say together, even so, come Lord Jesus. Why am I so attached to earth? Why is it that I'm attached to earth? Or is it because I want so many to go with me from earth? These chapters are meant to wean us away from the idols of earth. And what a wonderful way to close the subject of heaven. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's people said, Amen.